we have to wrap up uh, what we've been looking at for the past 11 or 12 weeks in the eighth chapter of this letter to the Romans. <coughs> Paul is trying to tell his people in Rome, the people he hasn't met yet, but what he's trying to tell them and by consequence he's trying to tell us is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Do not be anxious about anything in this world. Echoing the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, there are reasons to be afraid. And that is very certain. Many reasons to be afraid in this life, in this world. The disease, as your pastor is coughing all over you right now. Afraid of poverty, loneliness, pain, of course, death. And so as people just making our way downtown in this road called life, we work and we strive towards the things, towards the places, and towards the people that will help us in avoiding the fears that plague our lives. We fear the deterioration of our bodies. We fear the deterioration and the passing by of our youth, our vitality. And so we work and we strive towards our health and our physical well-being. We eat right, we go to the gym, we put on makeup, inject ourselves with Botox, get a butt lift, tighten it up, because we fear the effects of old age, the effects of being unhealthy, being not beautiful, and not young. We fear poverty, we fear being uncomfortable, discomfort. And so we go to the second best university in New Jersey, Rutgers, and we, maybe third, we strive and we work to get the best grades so that we can get the best interviews, to get the best jobs, to get the best paycheck in order that we may avoid being poor being uncomfortable. We are afraid of being lonely. And so, we want to be weird enough that we're interesting, that we have something to talk about, but you don't want to be so weird that you just alienate people, right? You want to hit that right balance of weird, right? Uh, because we're afraid. You know, we're, we, we sometimes we hold a part of ourselves back for fear that people will look upon us and say, that boy ain't right. So, because we fear loneliness, we fear being alienated. And despite all of this, despite all of our working and striving, eventually, no matter what, our mortality seems to win out in the end. No matter how much we work out, eat right, your bodies will fail you. 
no matter how big of a house and a nice car and um, Yeezy slides, I mean, I'm not allowed to talk about Yeezys anymore. Uh, probably not, but no matter how much of that you get, you cannot take those things to the grave. No matter how many friends and adoring fans and people who love you, how many of those you accumulate, you will be alone in your coffin under the ground, unless you get a cremation or something. Then you'll be alone as you scatter yourself into the ocean. And the Roman Christians understood that reality very intimately. For a lot of us, death seems, I mean, we know it's something that happens, and we may have loved ones who have passed away recently. Um, but for most of us, given that we're all under the age of 32, <laughs> Uh, death seems like a foreigner. It, it's, it, it's not a reality that seems very real to us, but to the Roman Christians, they understood the reality of their mortality and of death very intimately because they were a church that was being persecuted, that was being alienated, that was being accused of things that they had not done or were not doing or were not. And the fear of death with every passing day, with every passing year, as the Roman government and the Roman culture increasingly labels them this cult, a dangerous cult, a threat to our society, the fear of death hangs, looms over and hangs over their head ever the more every day. And it is in this context, and even though we may not be experiencing death itself, we know all of death's friends, what we've been talking about, right? We know the feeling of loneliness. We know what it means to feel weak. We know what it means to feel tired. We know what it means to feel sad in a, in a way that you can't even breathe. You feel suffocated by all the responsibilities and all the tensions and stresses of your life. And it is in this context that the eighth chapter of Romans, specifically the first 11 verses, encourages us to not be afraid. There is so much to be afraid of. There is so much that we can put our fear in. But in our reading of Romans 8 thus far, death and all of his friends remains a problem. It is a problem. But it is, in the context of greater things, the very least of your problems. Death and all of his friends are the very least of your problems, though they remain a problem. Why? Because your biggest problem is that you stand guilty before a holy God. You stand, sin, you, you stand in your sin before a sinless God. And your sin is a great offense to God. And the just consequence and penalty of our sins is condemnation. And God's condemnation comes in the form of his full and complete wrath over us. And that's a problem. 
That is a problem greater than any loneliness we could experience, any depression, any hunger or thirst, even death itself, cannot help us escape the wrath of God that comes for all sinners. But it is in that context that once again, Paul says, do not be afraid. This is the greatest threat, not just to your body, but to your soul. And it is not a, not a thing that's going to pass you by, but this is a wrath that is as eternal as God is. And yet, don't be afraid of it. Don't fear the wrath and condemnation of God. Instead, be joyful. Because there is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because God, being rich in mercy, raised us up in Christ. And Christ, being fully man and fully God, he alone was able, and not just able, but willing. And he did die on behalf of the sins of those who put their trust and faith in him. And the wrath, that terrible, terrifying eternal wrath that was meant for us was placed upon Jesus as he died on the cross. And all of death and all of death's friends was made known to Jesus on that Good Friday. And so we are saved by grace through faith. We are justified by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. That is why there is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so, there are a lot of things in, the li in this life to be afraid of. And yet, the thing we need to be most afraid of is the wrath of God. And yet, we no longer need to fear the wrath of God because the wrath of God has been placed upon the very Son of God on the cross on Good Friday. And so if we need not fear even the wrath of God, if we need not fear even the condemnation of God, which is the most terrifying thing that we could ever experience, how much less shall we fear the stinging arrows of death and all of his friends? because the cross is our great shield and Jesus Christ is our great deliverer. And though the, though the remnant of sin and though the remnant of death still remain with us, and these are things we still need to reckon with and things we still need to deal with, we still need to go to those funerals, those hospital visits. We still need to embrace our friends who are suffering mightily. Still need to be there for each other when we have those dark thoughts that lead us into those places we should not be going alone. We still need to do that, and we still need to be there for one another because these realities exist, and yet we need not fear them. We need not be enslaved to them because we are right with God. We are right with God, and the condemnation and wrath of God has been lifted from us and placed upon his Son. And because now we are united to Christ and because he has taken our sin and we have taken his righteousness, we have life and we have life anew.
That is why Paul says in verse 11, as he wraps up, wraps up this section of Romans chapter 8, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And so, we have new life. We once were dead, we once were slaves to death, we once were slaves to sin, but through Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are made alive. God has given us life in our mortal bodies. And look how Paul says, says it like it is, we have mortal bodies. He doesn't disregard the fact that, they're still gonna, that these Roman Christians are still going to be persecuted, still going to be going through suffering and trials and tribulations, and all of them will die unless Jesus comes back, and he hasn't come back yet. So, But we have new life. Our mortal bodies have been raised to life. And so what does that mean? What does it mean then? That, what does it mean to not fear, uh, not fear death, not fear wrath, not fear loneliness, not fear depression, anxiety. Not to, what does it mean to not fear these things and instead to live as people with new lives? People with mortal bodies who are going to die, who are going to still experience things in this world, but yet have life anew. Three things, and I hope they will be short things, but who knows? We're going to go on a ride together. Right? Three things that it means to have life in our mortal bodies, right? Three things. Okay, first, we can know God. That's number one. We can know God. Number two, we can walk according to the Spirit. That's number two. Number three, we can hope in the resurrection. Number one, we can know God. Number two, we can walk according to the Spirit. Number three, we can hope in the resurrection. Number one, we can know God. There's a difference between knowing someone and knowing someone. There's a difference between um, knowing someone and saying, hey, I know that person because I know their name, I know how old they are, I know where they go to school, versus I know what makes this person angry. I know their favorite memory. I know what their relationship with their father means to them. You see, the, you see the difference in knowing, right? There is a knowing that is empirical. There is a knowing that you can do sim by simple study, right? But there is a knowing, and this can only happen between people, right? Like you can't ask a rock, like, hey, rock, what really makes you you, you know? But we can do that to people. We can know people in this way. And yet, even when we ask someone, hey, how are you doing, right? Unless they choose to say something other than I'm fine, we won't really know how they're doing. And it is, among people, a matter of something that theologians call revelation. If we do not reveal what's in our hearts to each other, then we will never know anything about one another that is really worth knowing, all right? Uh, sorry, guys, your birthdays really are not that 
not that important, okay? But what makes you, what makes you angry? What makes you happy? What your dreams and aspirations are? How you feel about Jesus? Like, these are important things, right? Um, but, but I will never be able to know it unless you tell me first. And the beautiful thing about being made alive in Christ Jesus through the Spirit is that we can know God. And even in the very being made alive process, we learn more about God and we can know more about God and God is revealing himself to us even as we are being made new and being made alive in our mortal bodies. Just take a look at verse 11 one more time, okay? If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Let me ask you this. Who are the persons that are present in this verse, in this one verse? We see, we see a work of God in three persons. We see three persons in this verse. Okay? Because we see Christ, we see the Spirit, but we also see the one who sends the Spirit and the one who initiates the Spirit's procession, which is the Father. And so as we are made alive and made new, and as we, um, as we put to death the fears of this life, the fears of our mortality, and walk in the newness of life, we can know God fully, and we can know God as he reveals himself to us, not just as these amorphous ideas, not just as these mystical divine concepts, but we can know God just as we know each other as a person, and more specifically as the three persons, the three persons of the Trinity as they relate intimately to us, as the three persons of the one God has a personal relationship with us. And indeed, the Trinity, it's a, it's a wacky concept that is beyond truly our understanding, but to, to walk in that and to walk in the faith of our Father and our Son and the Son and the Holy Spirit, to know him in these ways, we can know God. And that is just one way in which uh, we can know more and more the character, the thought, the heart of God. Number two, we can walk according to the Spirit. We are not made alive simply for the sake of uh, that one event of being made alive in the Spirit, but it is to live in the Spirit. It is not enough to be alive in the Spirit. We must live in the Spirit. And that is why I wanted us to read verses 1 through 11 in its entirety. Because if you are, because verse 11 is, is concluding everything that Paul is talking about through verses 1 through 10, right? We are made alive. Though we li live in this world where our mortality is as real as the breath in our lungs, we can still yet walk in the Spirit because there is no condemnation for us, because we can experience what it is to, uh, to know the God as triune, as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we can walk and set our minds upon the things of the Spirit. It's not just enough to say, hey, uh, let me rephrase that. 
indeed, we are, sa- we are justified. We are saved by grace through faith alone. And it is enough to put your trust and faith in him. And there is nothing else that is going to save you. And yet, what is the mark of those who have been saved? What is the mark of those who have put their faith in Christ Jesus? It's the mark of those who have put their faith in Christ Jesus is the one who walks according to the Spirit. Think of it like uh, at one time you desired one thing, but now that you walk in the Spirit, you desire another thing. When Debbie, my daughter, was three months old, she loved tofu. And she, was it three months old? No, that's a lie. Six months old. When she was six months old, she loved tofu. And at one time, she loved tofu. But now, she does not like tofu, right? Because she's not six months old anymore. She's a year and six months. And I don't know why she doesn't like tofu. Why can't she just eat it? But she doesn't like it. And at the same time, at one point, though it was the very thing that was killing us, though it was the very thing that made us dead, we had an appetite, an insatiable appetite for sin. We had an insatiable appetite for the things that in their consumption of us, uh, we thought we would be satisfied by. By the pride in our hearts, the gossip of our lips, the lust in our hearts. And yet, because now we have the Spirit, we don't like tofu anymore. <laughs> we don't like, we, don't, we are not satisfied by the consuming nature of sin, but we are satisfied in the ways and the things of the Spirit. Because the ways and the things of the Spirit resemble the one who has saved us. We want to be like the one who has saved us. We want to be more like Jesus, who has laid his life down for us. And so we can walk according to the Spirit. And lastly, we can hope in the resurrection. Again, in a sort of chiasm, uh, my professors would probably yell at me for, for suggesting this, but I think we can think sort of chiastically about Romans 8. Uh, you know what? Forget I just said that, all right? Just wipe that from your minds, all right? This is just a note for me. But in the very middle of chapter 8, which we will get to at some point, but in the middle of chapter 8, I think is the very pinnacle of the hope that Paul is trying to get at in Romans 8. And that's Romans 8, verse 18. And if you don't know, this is my favorite verse of all time. And so maybe I'm a little biased. But I think this is the very pinnacle, not just of Romans 8, but of Romans the book. And not just of Romans the book, I think this is the very pinnacle of the entire revelation of the word of God. And that is, it is this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I'm a parent of a toddler, so all my examples uh, deal with toddlers, so I'm sorry, but 
uh, on my uh, on my Instagram, the algorithm knows that I'm a parent, so it's, it shows a lot of baby th stuff at me, right? And a lot of a lot of the a lot of the literature and a lot of the trends these days, right? Like when you uh, when a toddler starts going into a tantrum, right? Um, you're not supposed to be like, hey, stop, <laughs> right? She's laughing, but she understands this concept, right? You're supposed to empathize with them, right? You know, because toddlers they don't think logically they think emotionally like they're just all they're not rational right and so even though their problems can be solved very easily they don't want the problem to be solved they just need to let it out emotionally right so you have to get down to their level and be like oh it must be so hard right like let's say stuff like that right oh it's like oh yeah oh yeah you should cry like i understand blah blah, blah. right but you know if you're a rational well-functioning adult human being like in your brain you know, like, like, bro, Debbie, you're so dumb. Like, this is not a problem, right? There are, like, if you think this is bad, like, if, you, if you're sad about this, wow, there is some sadness coming to your life. And obviously, like, like, that's just me and my frustration, right? Like, obviously, I want to, you know, I care for my daughter, and I think, and I, uh, you know, I want her to express her emotions in a healthy and proper way, but that sort of thinking, right? Like there is so much more pain <laughs> that is going, like, and that breaks my heart. But there is so much more pain, so much more suffering that is coming for my 18-month-old daughter. And as a father, that that really breaks my heart. But that's just the reality of her living in this broken and sinful world, right? And so Paul, he takes, he but he flips that on his head. Uh, he flips it on its head. And verses 1 through 11, he's really driving home the fact that, hey, guys, you're suffering, and you're going through it, and you're crying. And unlike Debbie, where the, you know, her water bottle is right there, and she can just grab it. But for the Romans and for us, the, the solutions to our issues, yes, we believe in Christ, put our faith in him. Jesus is the answer, right? And yet the, the solutions to our problems seem very far off. And unlike toddlers, we, in our suffering, we're just like, how, I want a solution. How can, and, these, and we are overwhelmed by the suffering of our present experience. And so, like I think to Debbie, wow, there is so much more suffering that is coming your way. Paul takes a different approach. And he says to the Christian, think about how much you're suffering right now the glory that is to come, the thing that you are hoping towards, the resurrection, of the, all, the resurrection of the dead and the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, that is going to make your present suffering seem like nothing. It's not even worth comparing. You know, some people say it's like, it's like comparing apples to oranges. Like, why can't we compare apples to oranges? Right? They're both fruits. They're both circular. All right, I'm losing you. Anyway, um, you can compare apples and oranges, okay? You can't compare our suffering, as great as it may seem, to the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so in a sense, in this kind of weird, backwardsy sense, although that's usually how the gospel works in our lives, in this weird backwardsy sense, the more you suffer, the more glory. 
like the more you really understand the depth and the weight of the glory that is coming. Right, it's okay. So the more you suffer, the more, the more pain. And, and so don't go out like looking for, don't be a masochist, okay? And be like, suffering, I need it. But at the same time, like, just as I know and I fear for my, for, for my daughter as a father, that really intense suffering and pain is going to come to her. She's going to go through heartbreak. She's going to scrape a lot of knees. She might even break some bones. She might even get really sick. Ah, shit. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, and the thought of that breaks my heart. But, but compared to all of that and compared to all the su- uh, sufferings that we ourselves might go through, whether it is physical, financial, spiritual, emotional, relational, we think about the depth and the reality of that pain and we compare it to what's come, like, and, we, and we, when we read in scripture that it's not even worth comparing. Not that it's not worthy to consider, not that it's not worthy to, uh, to confront and to have to deal with, right? Paul talks all, about, all, all through his letters about the suffering that he goes through, shipwrecks and persecutions. He gets, we- he gets whipped, he gets beaten. And he says, even through all of that, I've experienced all of that, and yet the glory that is coming it's going to be so good. Well, what does it mean to have new life in our mortal bodies as the praise name comes up? Um, it means we can know God for who he is because he has revealed himself to us. We can walk according to the spirit because we have not just been made alive, but we have been made to live. And we can hope in the resurrection of a glory that is to come. And how great must that glory be if our current suffering and pain is as great as it is. So let us hope in the knowledge of God as we walk in the Spirit and we hope in the resurrection brought about by the coming again of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, may we be a people of hope. May we be a people of faith and trust, trusting that you are a God who does all that he promises. And you have promised to us that you would reveal yourself to us, and indeed you have. You have revealed yourself as the Father who loved the world, that he sent his only Son to die on the cross for his people, that we may be made alive by the Spirit of that same God. That we would walk according to the Spirit and set our minds on the things of the Spirit, set our minds on the things that bring about life and peace. And Lord, to hope in a glorious future, even as we endure many hardships and sufferings in this life. Thank you, Lord, for being good to us. Thank you, Lord, that you do not leave us alone, but that by your Holy Spirit you are guiding us through all of these things. So Father God, uh, as we respond to you and your word, may we lean upon you, may we lean not on our own understanding, but depend on the one who has saved us and is saving us and will bring us into a final and future glory. In Jesus' name I pray.